Welcome to Up Next with Tommy Lee, with influential Christian leaders sharing their passions and purpose in personal conversations. And now, founder and president of Resource Global, managing partner of Barnabas Group Chicago, and your host on Up Next, Tommy Lee. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Up Next. And today, our co-host is Kenson Lamb. Kenson, welcome. Glad to be here. Jimmy Lee. Jim, welcome. Glad to be here as well, too. And today, we have the honor of interviewing David Kinneman, president of Barnard Group. Hey, Jim Kenson, have you ever met a speaker who you've read their books, you've read all of their research and everything like that, and that only to meet them and realize, wow, they are such a genuine and nice guy. And that's what, how I would describe David. Yeah, oh, I'm kind of fanboying right now because, you know, like uh, growing up, you know, through the youth ministry, having to do youth work, and then books like Unchristian comes out and this and that. I'm like, man, these, these things just kind of shaped the way. Like you started to teach and see things, and yeah, so not having a chance to talk to the guy who wrote it—that's uh, that's pretty special. Pretty special. David, we're talking nice things about you here, David, because we're just <laughs> we just love you. Thanks. That's not very very kind of you. Uh, let me introduce David Kinneman a little bit. He is the president of Barner Group. He is author of the best-selling books "Good Faith." You Lost Me and Unchristian with Gabe Lyons. And uh, ever since, I mean, he's now the president of Barnard Group doing a lot of research and communications and lives in Ventura County over in California. And David, today I actually want to start with talking about your latest research on BarnardGlobal.com is this whole idea of Christians who make a difference. Dave, how, how did this research come about and what were you studying during that period of time? Yeah, thank you. Um, by the way, just joking about unchristian and 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 uh, sort of sort of the work that we've done. We once had a family from our church come over, and they were like, "Man, I thought that the author of unchristian would have like a more edgy, decorating style." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was like, "No, we got like you know candles and wall sconces and all the rest." <laughs> yeah. uh, so you know, the study uh, Christians to make a difference. We had the privilege of working on uh, this study with a group in the UK called Tear Fund. And Tear Fund uh, does work, um, sort of relief and development around the world. And and what we talked about with them, you know, part of what we do is we come alongside a partner and try to understand through survey research a little bit more about the kinds of issues that our partners care about. So we work with a wide range of organizations. And Tear Fund said, you know, we think that there's this group of people called whole life responders to poverty, where it's not just that they outsource their compassion and give money you know, on a monthly or annual basis to the poor, but they actually pray, they advocate politically, they make lifestyle changes in terms of how they buy or shop, um, they, they take personal responsibility for, for dealing with issues of poverty. And so this, this whole life responder to poverty was what we were looking for. And we, we, we found evidence that that, in fact, exists. Uh, there are a small percentage of people uh, who, are, who are churchgoers, um, about 16%. Uh, in the UK, about 12% in the US, uh, but but these cr- people who are more than just sort of you know givers, um, they're actually doing a lot of things to try to help the poor in our in our communities and around the world. And that was, I think, a really cool discovery. These people who make a difference through their faith. Yeah. Hey, David, let me ask you a quick question. I'll turn it over to Jimmy. Especially when you just for those who may not know, when you guys do these surveys and do this research. How does it go about? Do you interview X number of people? Do you work with X number of churches? How do you guys go about doing this research? Yeah, we use uh, the same kind of, of social research and polling. A lot, In fact, a lot of the same research vendors that are used by the Pew Center or Gallup or the Nielsen uh, Company, 
Um, and so it's a random national sample of uh, Americans, or in the case of the tier fund study, we were doing both Americans and UK adults. Um, and then, and then what we do is we ask certain questions in those studies to determine what kinds of Christians we're interviewing or what kinds of non-Christians we're interviewing. And, um, and so it's a random representative. It's it sort of, even though we're interviewing a couple thousand people, which sounds like a small sample by comparison to the total population, it helps us predict or represent what is happening across the whole country. So it's balanced by age and gender and and region of the country and ethnicity and other kinds of things. So it's a representative social study that looks at, at issues of, of public perception, action, faith, those kinds of things. Got it. Uh, you're listening up next on AM 1160 on the call today. We have David Kinneman, president of Barnard Group. Jimmy, Dave, where do you where do you um, what do you think is driving um, some of the ways that Christians are really um, looking at engaging culture? Do you think it's the rise of this younger generation, or do you think that it's really the church is really kind of taking leadership in it? I think there's a wide range of of reasons. I mean, I think if you look at um, the last 50 years in America, I mean, I think Christians have been very concerned about the direction of culture. Um, Certainly our research, stretching back into the 80s um, at Barna, shows that, you know, the intersection of faith and culture is a, a, a major pressure point and concern and opportunity for Christians. Um, and I think then the real difference between different generations, in, in my mind, is a lot about the, not whether that is important, but how and why uh, we engage in terms of culture. And so we certainly see a lot of differences in the way younger Christians are expecting or hoping to engage culture that by comparison to older Christians. But whether we engage culture is, is I think, you know, sort of a foregone conclusion. Obviously, there are certain groups um, and tribes within Christianity, the Amish or Mennonite, you know, sort of specific groups that are by design, um, they try to sort of withhold and, and sort of abstain from cultural realities, and that's 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 their theological response, and, and they should be commended for that um, for that type of response. I think for others, uh, you know, I, I see it more about being kind of in a modern exile um, that we're trying to live in, but not of the world. We have to think, and, and one of my heroes in Scripture is Daniel, uh, being able to serve multiple, you know, leaders in in the, the Babylonian um, regime. And, and yet was able to stay faithful in, in the midst of that. And so I think I think we're in the midst today of a major change from, you know, one generation who thinks that we should have a Christianized culture and another that says we should be Christians in our culture. Mm. And, you know, how do we, how do we um, look for faithfulness? And I've, I've learned not to criticize older generations for the ways that they pursue their how and why, uh, but I do think that there is a, a major change in, in those questions that are coming up. Got it. Yeah, Dave, great insight. You know, if, if I can just kind of keep asking around this, uh, because I'm, I am finding this like whole idea that that Christians are in fact a force of good in the world. Um, it's just like everything that you hear online and so forth is a complete opposite. But I'm just curious that in your study, like, what is what is this force for good? Like, what, what good are are our believers doing or Christians doing that that are making this kind of that is giving you this kind of evidence? You know, is it is it in generosity? Is it in giving, serving? Like, what what were the things that you guys were discovering in, in this? Yeah, I think you've you've hit on a really important point, um, which is that I think we're finding a lot of evidence that Christians are a force for good. Um, they certainly perceive themselves mostly that way. I mean, some Christians, I think, have uh, an overly negative self-perception, and there's a lot of social research that shows that that's the case. 
um, and, and I always feel uh, personally responsible on some level to make sure that Christians don't take the bad news from our data and make it about themselves in a personal way. Um, I want them to take heart to it, and, and you know, a lot of our data, um, the book on Christian and You Lost Me, really looked at the ways in which the Church is sometimes failing the next generation. So we've been quick to criticize the Church when it's fair to do so. And at the same time, I think the last couple of years, we're finding more and more evidence of the ways the Church is making a difference. So this new study, Christians Who Make a Difference, is an example of that. Um, the Christians at Work study that we mm. released um, about two months ago with Abilene Christian University shows that those that are true faith work integrators actually are better workers. I mean, it's a mm. weird thing, but, but if you're hiring people, um, whether you're a Christian-run business or just a mainstream business, if you can find people that, that integrate their faith and their work, they're actually more likely to pursue um, um uh, work for the for the for the good of the company and for the good of the, the customers. They're they're actually more selfless and they're not perfect, but they're more selfless in their orientation towards work. And so I think there's a lot of different examples of how Christianity isn't just true. Um, we're finding more and more, I think, social evidence that you know, despite really challenging realities like the priest abuse scandals and the challenges of faith in our culture. I mean, it's not perfect record, but but faith actually produces good in us and in our communities, and, and we ought to celebrate that more and, and try to do more of it. Got it. Hey, Dave, you looked at five different dimensions uh, of poverty response, financial giving, personal responsibility, political advocacy, consumer lifestyle change, and also prayer. Were there results that you weren't expecting that came out of this research that surprised you? Well, I think the fact that you know Christians in America, for example, are more likely to pray uh, than, than Christians in the UK for the poor was a, a good example, but, but Christians in the UK were more likely to give financially than were Christians in the, in the US. And uh, so we found a lot of really interesting examples of, of differences between the two contexts. Um, you know, one of the things that really was surprising, uh, but it shouldn't have been, was that when you look at these whole life responders to poverty, um, that do those five things that we just mentioned, um, those Christians who make that kind of difference also are much stronger theologically. Mm. They are stronger disciples in almost ever, every metric that we have. Um, and so I think that was a really interesting finding. I think there's a lot of discussion in the Church today about, you know, pursuing uh, the poor um, justice and social justice issues and whether that is a distraction from the Gospel. And, and I actually found in the study that it, it, it almost seems like they actually go hand in hand, that a, a mindset and a heart set to pursue serving those in poverty, uh, not just with our money, but with our time, attention, our prayers, our, our, our sort of consumer lifestyles, all these things, they seem they're, they're highly correlated with the kind of Christian lives that we lead in other dimensions. We actually, they're, they're more people who, who, who are these whole life responders are actually even more likely to be evangelistic, to share their faith with others, which I think uh, undercuts the idea that if you care about justice, you're not going to care about evangelism. So I actually think this was an important study mm. uh, to, to show what it means to live a more whole, integrated Christian life in response you know, to, to the gospel, um, which includes our response to the poor. Got it. On our call today, we're talking with David Kinnaman, President of Barnett Group. We're going to take a quick break and come right back and continue our conversation with David on Christians Who Make a Difference. Stay tuned.
1160. Resource Global is cultivating the potential of young professionals all over the world to maximize their reach and restore their cities with the gospel. 60% of our waking hours are spent in the workplace, therefore it is a significant time for gospel impact. As young professionals grow in their careers, we provide in-depth training and we also provide mentoring to integrate their faith and work. And we want them to use their influence and skills to impact their city. I know of no other organization besides Resource Global that is doing its exact ministry. Going to places, finding young people and pastors and teachers who want to bring together their collective wisdom to encourage one another in things of faith and work. I want to invite you to join us as we continue to grow the network of young professionals in strategic cities around the world. I invite you to join us to make a difference in these cities through these individuals and to make a difference for tomorrow. Dr. Tim Keller, founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City and best-selling author is coming to Chicago for the Gospel and Our Cities Conference. In the book of Jonah, God sends his prophet to the great city of Nineveh to uh, preach to it, to reach it, and he shows a great deal of disdain, and God rebukes Jonah and says, how can you look at all those people who don't know their right hand from their left and not have compassion on that great city? Uh, the churches of today should have compassion on the city and should care about the city. Please come to Chicago, the third largest city in our country, which will be a wonderful backdrop for a meeting of men and women who want to reach their respective North American cities with the gospel, doing both holistic uh, transformation, evangelism, and bringing about conversions. Please come and join us. Find out more at thegospelandourcities.org. That's thegospelandourcities.org. AM 1160. You're listening to Up Next with Tommy Lee on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to Up Next. On the phone today, we have David Kinneman, uh, President of Barnard Group. My host today is Kenson Lamb and Jimmy Lee. Uh, today, we're talking with David on this whole idea of the research, Christians Who Make a Difference. If you go to barnaglobal.com and click on the link that uh, leads you to Christians Who Make a Difference, you're going to see their research on that. And so, Jim, you, have a, you want to start us off with a question? Yeah, David, you talked earlier in our interview about how the prophet Daniel was somebody that, um, from the Bible, you really respected and really looked up to. Let me ask you a question. In, in this era that we live in of Me Too, Black Lives Matter, do you think that Christians, what is the role Christians have in helping to create and, 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 and help kind of be a voice in creating some of these movements? Or do you think that more and more Christians, essentially, we just respond to social movements happening around us? No, I think it's important to do both. Um, and, and you know, I, I saw this on Twitter recently, and I thought it was a very insightful comment. It said, you know, we can't raise a generation of young people who sing the song, you know, break my heart for what breaks yours, and then not expect this generation to care about um, issues of gender, race, um, inequity, um, spiritual poverty, um, you know, a whole range of different issues. And, and so a lot of my work here at Barna uh, has been really to focus on telling the story of millennial Christians and next generation Christians. So I'm 44, and I, I just I think that we've done a disservice in many ways to this next generation of Christians. We've, we've given them um, a very thin gospel. Um, we've given them an experience of Christianity, and it just it breaks my heart to see uh, this generation, so many of them wandering spiritually and not confident in 
what they believe and why. And and a lot of that, I think, is because we have we've separated that our faith should care about the, the range of issues that are important. And, and now in our social media world and in a radical, transparent era, it's really easy for people to be exposed to and see um, issues and concerns. And is it true then that sometimes those issues are um, are, are diversion or they are motivated from a wrong place. I mean, I think that's true, but we haven't given young people a reason to even theologically parse that. And so we've got, I think, a, a really tall task ahead of us. I'm very hopeful that the church will rise to that occasion, largely because I see these many young Christian leaders who are rising to that occasion, who are trying to to recenter the church on Jesus and on his, on his message of, of salvation for our souls and of freedom for the captives. Um, and I think it's important for us as a church to hear and listen. That's one of the things that's great privileges for me as a researcher to tell the stories through the data of this next generation of Christians and how they concern themselves about the issues and problems of the world and why Jesus matters in those discussions. Yeah. You know, Dave, if I can follow up with that, you know, recently um, a very well-known uh, Christian pastor and author and dozens of other Christian leaders uh, presented a, a website, a, a paper, an article about the statement on social justice and the gospel, um, actually kind of going against kind of what you've been saying and kind of what your study's been saying, like, you know what, too much focus on the social justice, not on the gospel, and it garnered over 7,000 signatures from other Christian leaders and so forth. Um, just curious to know kind of like uh, how how you've processed that, how, how you've taken that all in and and what you're seeing in that. It's it's hard not to, to receive that and feel like, well, yeah, you have the millennials here who talk a lot about social justice, and then you kind of have, like, the old guard here saying, like, no, 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 you've strayed too far, you know, with social justice. You know, you've got to get back to the gospel of salvation and, and start there and be there. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think, first, one of my core beliefs is that we have to be careful not to criticize other Christians for things that they are uh, deeply committed to. So, you know, I think that's just one one broad principle I try to live by. Um, and, and so I think everyone has the has the God-given responsibility see in the New Testament of people looking after theological um, issues and po- points of emphasis. I mean, Paul is, is, is chastising and, and encouraging and, and cajoling the early Christians. We see in the book of Revelation that, that John has a revelation of Jesus himself um, speaking to the, the, the seven churches of Asia Minor, which are all in modern-day Turkey. So I think we all have um, a responsibility to raise important issues. Um, it, to, to me, I think the problem is when we say that this is the only way to think about this. And, and, and the other side, uh, which, without making any kind of comments about, about the particular social justice statement that you talked about, the problem is that statements and statement-making aren't actually all that effective today, whether we're talking about that issue or issues of LGBTQ, you know, sort, sort of, um, you know, the Nashville statement. And so broadly speaking, I could say, without any sort of cynicism or criticism, that our efforts to try to define what we believe and who's in and who's out and statement making is really tough. And it's really hard. Um, you know, I'm on the board of several institutions. And, you know, when we try to when we try to write it down, we, we should do that hard work of, of meaning what we say and saying what we mean. But um, in our world today, um, you know, this next generation is trying to see whether we actually believe what we, what we say. And, yeah. and then further to the research that we've just talked about, um, I think it's, it's, it's true that when you allow for Christians and you hope for Christians to care for 
more things when we and we sing songs like "Break Our Hearts for What Break Yours." We would imagine that Christians will have a range of things that they end up caring about, and they should. And that our our, our belief in Jesus doesn't mean we care about you know only one thing other than you know uh, worshiping Jesus and, and knowing Him and being known by Him. Uh, but that but that simple fact changes our relationship to everything and everyone around us. And if we don't acknowledge that, I think we miss the opportunity to authentically communicate why the gospel matters in all of life, uh, why it would matter to this next generation in every sphere of the things that they are finding their their lives, um, you know, intersected by. Yeah, so helpful. You're listening up next on AM 1160. My host today is Kenson Lamb, Jimmy Lee. On the phone today, we have David Kinneman, president of Barna Group. Jim? You know, uh, David, we just finished um, midterm elections here in the United States. And I know that one of the things your research shows is that young um, Christians are really being more engaged from a political standpoint in the UK. How do you see um, young Christians engaging with the world of politics here in the United States? Uh, well, I think, boy, we, we need you know several days to talk about that, but I think there's um, a range of different tribes of young people, just as there would be a range of different responses among older Christians. Um, everything from um, a, a cynicism and a lack of trust in political leaders causing them to uh, be be disengaged. Uh, we're talking about young Christians now, um, and, and, and all the way up to those that are highly activated around particular p- political parties. So you'd have, you know, very active Christians for Republican causes. You'd have very active Christians for uh, Democratic causes. Um, and um, and so I think, I think recognizing there's just a, a wide diversity in our country, um, when we do research in other places like the UK or Scotland or other places, you know, we see just how big and broad America is in comparison, not just population-wise, although that's part of the factor, um, but just how big the church community is. I mean, there are 320,000 Protestant churches in America, which means that 7,000 people signing a statement is a very small percentage of that total, right? Yeah. It's less than probably 2 3%. And so I think recognizing that there is such a diversity and and what I see so often is that we haven't done a very good job um, in our in our methods of discipling young people to help them think about the full range of responding to our political moment. So, and this gets to that, um, it's a very similar argument to what we we're just talking about in Christians Who Make a Difference. There's a multidimensional, there are more than one ways for us to think about responding to the lives of those affected by poverty. Um, and I think this study helps to prove that. It, it affected me. I mean, I've, I've been praying more in the last six weeks for the poor and for those in our community and around the world um, than I ever have, because I realized how much I had personally been outsourcing our, my compassion. I, I write the checks, but I don't engage our family in prayer. So we've been doing more of that just as a family. And in a similar way, politically, I think there's an opportunity for us as churches to help the next generation to see that there's a relational response to issues around us. There's a political response. There's a commercial public square response. That's issues of like the baker baking a cake. Um, There is a ministry response. Um, There is a church response. There's a theological response. And beginning to parse these things. I mean, I I believe that this next generation, just as the older generation, has a capacity to hold more things in their brain than we give them credit Mm, for. And if we don't believe that that is true, uh, if we don't think that they can actually see that there's different ways of responding, and if we don't train them to think well and respond well and respond biblically, they, they will dismiss our our description of the biblical view of justice, let's say, 
as one-dimensional and as, you know, sort of politically motivated. And so we have to do, I think, a good job of helping this next generation see the whole um, the, the whole beauty of what yeah. it means to follow Jesus in this world. Hey, let me, uh, we have one minute left before we finish, David. I love it. Let me finish with the, your thought is when you say encourage this next generation, as we wrap up, what is that way to encourage? Is it just allowing them to try and fail, encouraging? What, what is the best way you would say an encouragement for churches, pastors, older leaders? How can we encourage that younger generation? Well, one thing we're going to release next year, um, a study called Faith for Exiles, which is about what does it look like for us to build a church, a set of of commitments for this next generation who is in an exile-type experience. And what I'm really encouraged by is there's something like 5 million young 18 to 29-year-olds who just love Jesus, who we describe as resilient disciples. And, and, and yet there's, you know, tens of millions of young people who grew up as Christians who are really just habitual churchgoers or who've lapsed in their faith. What encourages me is these resilient disciples. And I would ask church leaders today to say, what could we do to partner with what God is already doing in the lives of those young leaders? And if you are a young leader yourself, 18 to 29, maybe you're 30 to 39, what are you doing to make sure your faith stays resilient and strong, centered on Scripture, centered on Jesus, centered on worshiping God, because God's calling you to make a difference in and through His kingdom today. You got it. David, thank you very much. For more information on Christians who make a difference, go to BarnaGlobal.com. For more information, go to UpNext.City. David, we're going to have to catch up another time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tommy. Love you guys. Take care. We'll talk soon. Thank you. You've been listening to Up Next with host Tommy Lee, getting to know another influential leader. To hear past episodes, visit upnext.city. That's upnext.city. Join Tommy for Up Next, Saturdays at 3.30 on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.